the Dutch cyclists, um, Annemiek van Vluten, here you have a picture of her in the Olympics raising her hands because she won the gold medal as she crossed the finish line, not realizing that over a minute before that, so it's my, the Austrian cyclist had crossed the finish line before her. She had lost track of the Austrian who had broke away with a, with a group of three or four. Because she was a no-name cyclist, she was by herself, she didn't have a team, and um, the, the favored previous gold medal winner was the, was the uh, Dutch team. And so she didn't realize that this person was uh, that good. For a while, she was 10 minutes ahead of the entire uh, Pelotron. So my sermon title is Expect the Unexpected. Obviously, it was the unexpected that, uh, that it happened. The, the lame man at the pool of Bethesda was not expecting what was going to happen to him that day. He was expecting the same, the same thing as every day. More pain, more disappointment, and no hope. He did not expect that he was going to meet the healer that was going to do what the pool couldn't do. Expect the unexpected. As we think about, um, or get, and the other way to put it is get used to different. I don't know if some of you have watched The Chosen. This is one of the things that Jesus, at least in, in The Chosen, Jesus said to the disciples when they were having difficulty with who he was and how he was acting, he said, get used to different. And as we think about us today, as we think about the goals and the things that we have um, to do, the big job that God has for us to do, we need to maybe break out of where we're at, expect the unexpected, and get used to different. When you think about it, we have been in a worldwide pandemic. And we have a world to reach. We have a healing ministry, and you have a world looking for help. Do you see a connection? Sometimes God sets things up for us, for his benefit. Gives us opportunities to reach the whole world. And we need to be ready to meet those as well. Uh, so we have a message to give, but in, what percentage of the world knows about Seventh-day Adventists anyway? Do we have a platform to actually give that message? Actually, Jesus didn't have much trouble gathering a crowd. I mean, at times he had 5,000 men plus women and children, 15,000 or so people. There was no building in the area that could hold that number. How many pastors would like that kind of a problem? We don't even have a coliseum that could hold the numbers of people. This is the, the parallel to what was happening then. Why did they come to hear him? 
It says that Jesus went through out Galilee teaching in the synagogues proclaiming the good news and healing every disease and sickness among the people that would get someone's attention wouldn't it I mean think about it somebody here healing every disease maybe here in the church walking down the aisle and say uh, would you like to be healed would that get people's attention if they heard this was happening? If they heard this guy was available? If they heard that he was uh, in town? Yeah. But just to be sure, just to make sure you understand, healing was not the gospel. Sometimes we mix that up a little bit. Healing was not the gospel, but it was a platform to give the gospel. It got the attention of the world so that he could come. In fact, as I've thought about this, let's say somebody was sick and they, and they traveled many days to be able to see Jesus because they knew he was going to be in town. And sure enough, they came to maybe the Sermon on the Mount and even were healed, but they left was something even better than the healing. And even in their own mind, it was not that somebody tells them that it was better, but they, the compassion of Jesus, the love that he had, somehow in their mind was even greater than what they thought was the best thing that could happen to them, and that was the healing. It was never Jesus' plan to be the only healer. When you think about it, wasn't that true? For instance, when he called the twelve, he sent them out and he gave them power to cure every disease. So it wasn't just, so when we're talking about this, it wasn't something Jesus had that is exclusive. In fact, he said, as the Father has sent me, so I'm going to send you. So this healing process was something that was, um, was to be passed down. Now this next quotation blows me away. John 14, 12. Most of say, well, I'm just going to jump to the chase here. And greater works than these will you do. Uh, it says he do, but that he's talking about. Because I go to the Father. Has he gone to the Father? Do we ever think about this being a promise to us? Greater works than Jesus? Wow. I mean, unpack that. What do you mean? Greater, greater miracles? Greater crowds? Greater interpersonal relationship? Raising people from the dead? Greater works? Wow. Uh, and then he says, now that I'm giving you greater power, greater works, you go. I mean, think about it. He's talking to you. Not the person across the room. Or He's talking to you. Greater power. And he's saying, you go. So think about it. Everything's in place. There's a need, isn't there, in the world? Uh, there's the commission, you go. There's the power... Okay? All that's missing is you. 
when you think about this, but there's some people who are, who are messing this up maybe because as we talk about health, as we talk about healing, and they'll say, yeah, but it's not really important. It's not even a salvation issue. Let's not talk about that. Okay, Rick gives too many sermons on health and it's not a salvation issue anyway. True. It's no more of a salvation issue than keeping the Sabbath. But we don't stop talking about that. We are never saved by what we do, but here is something there's a quotation that I've looked at is if we backslide in health reform, and by the way, my goal is to try to take some of the things that are build walls, maybe are um, like the term health reform. How many of you really like to hear that? Okay, health reform. I'm trying to change the name but still have the same information. <laughs> health reform. If we, but now that you understand that, even though I'll use that word, think of something different. If we backslide in health reform, we shall lose much of our influence with the outside world. If we're trying to reach the whole world, uh, losing influence on them is probably not a really good plan to have. Any of you guys know some of these men? These guys have influence in the health field. Dr. Esselstein, I'll have to tell you more about him later. Prevent and reverse heart disease. People that go on his, his plan actually become heart attack proof. Is that pretty powerful? Joel Furman, great stuff. Neil Barnard, I've seen many people cured from diabetes by following his programs. Um, anyhow, you look through all these different guys. These guys are actually seeing miracles happen. They're physiologic miracles. But they're still, they're still miracles. But they also did not realize that they are fulfilling prophecy. There's not one Adventist up here, and I think only one Christian that I know about that's on here, but they are fulfilling prophecy as well. And here's the prophecy. Some who do not profess to be Christians treat these matters with greater reverence than do some of our own people. And unless we arouse, they will go in advance of us. So she prophesied that. It's true. They've gone in advance of us, and also they are the ones that have the influence. Do they have the gospel to give? No. Probably not. So, along with their physiological miracles, what if we presented the things that they are presenting, which basically is what we were told ahead of time, the principles on health. What if we presented those like they are, plus had the power of the healer as well. You have double the power because you not only have physiological miracles, but you have prayer and the miracle worker involved as well. 
If these guys are seeing miracles, if these guys have the influence of the world, God's plan, we have something even greater. If they have influence, we will have influence even more. I, I, as we compare what Jesus did with what we do today, healing today is different. In Jesus' day, he did not say, let's sit down and have a discussion on how diabetes works and we'll tell you how to turn it around. And, or a heart disease, I'm going to give you a diet and so forth. They didn't understand those things, so in his compassion, he laid his hands on them and healed them. And then said, go and sin no more. Kind of similar thing. Or he spoke the word and they were healed. Today, well, let me, let me back up. What he did was not prevention. It was treating after the fact. In medicine today, when a person gets sick, then they go to the hospital and they get pills and so forth. They get the medication. And so that's treatment of the disease. And what we are seeing more and more and why we have a lifestyle center is because we're teaching prevention. I have to ask you the question, if you prevented breast cancer, would that be more or less of a miracle than healing it after the fact? Think about it. It's actually more of a miracle because you didn't have the pain, you didn't have the scars, you didn't have those type of things that led up to that. Is it possible that the whole concept of prevention is even more powerful because it continues to heal. When he healed people and he touched them, he didn't continue to heal them all of their life. When we teach lifestyle principles, it is a continual miracle. So healing is different today. I want to show you some examples because I mean, we've talked about theory so far, but I, I also want to kind of go back and see what we're looking at. If Jesus had crowds of people who came, and we are not doing all that great, we're not even keeping up with the population growth, how in the world are we going to share the gospel with the world unless something changes? We keep trying new methods, we keep trying different things, and we kind of keep staying at the same thing. Is it possible that the very method that Jesus used, the healing that drew the crowds from every town around, is it possible that that is the very thing that will be the platform to give the gospel to the world? I think it is. I think that's part of the reason why we started hearing these phrases such as the right arm, the last, the last method in ministry, uh, in ministerial lines, those kind of things. And yeah, entering wedge, and then we've said, yeah, but it's not a salvation issue. In other words, what, when we heard that phrase, you thought you were getting freedom. I'm not being forced to do this anymore because it's not a salvation issue. You thought you were getting freedom and all you got is more bondage. 
bad deal. It's a bad deal, if nothing else. You got bondage to disease, you got bondage to addictions, you got bondage to food addictions, and those things that are really difficult to break away from. So instead of freedom, more bondage. So I want to share with you some samples of what if. I want to talk to you about uh, Tom's miracle. In fact, um, some of you know we have a physician who's just joined us at the Lifestyle Center. I'll show you his picture later. And he actually went to the Aurora Church, which is Tom's church. To make an announcement, but to tell Tom's story from a different perspective instead of Tom doing it. Tom is a pastor of the Aurora Adventist Church. And he called me some time ago and he said, I've been failing my physical a cardiologist said that my 20-year-old bypass surgery, coronary bypass surgery, is almost plugged up. You need another bypass surgery. So he calls me and he says, are there any other options? And I said, um, this is a little bit of what's happening to him. I said, I'm not your doctor. And I'm not going to tell you to ignore your doctor's advice. I will gather all the accurate information I can on the subject and get it to you and let you decide with your family what you want to do. Well, fortunately, I have some good friends in high, high places. <laughs> and one of those is Caldwell Esselstyn. I told you he's the one that wrote the book Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease. He's one of these guys who get miracles. I call him. He said, give this phone number to your pastor. I will talk to him. By the way, Caldwell Esselstyn is Bill Clinton's lifestyle physician. You see, I said I had friends in high places. <clears throat> so he calls our pastor and he, said, and he explains to him what to do. And in essence, what it was, it was a plant-based diet with no oil, and he was supposed to eat greens six times a day. The greens were actually the healing. And, what, and I'll show you a little bit about what was going on uh, in the healing process. But as he, um, he, he had told the doctor that he had, after about 10 minutes of walking, he had chest pain within three weeks of following this program, which is basically what we teach also. So it wasn't something special that Dr. Esselstyn came up with. Wouldn't be surprised if he learned about it from Loma Linda or he learned about it from uh, councils on diet and foods. But anyway, <clears throat> he, he hasn't admitted that. But anyway, he, after three weeks, he was able to walk for an hour with no chest pain at all. As he's been in contact with his cardiologist, his cardiologist says, we don't do bypass surgery if you don't have chest pain. Oh, wow. So we did not go against the doctor. We simply, he gave us a little bit of time in a very short time. He is heart attack proof. Now you might think we're extreme to say heart attack proof, but I'll, I'll prove my point. Uh, is that a miracle? Yes. Mm -hmm. Is that a modern miracle? 
What if we did that all the time? Will we start getting a crowd of people following? Probably so. But we, follow, we had to have somebody else share that information. The second person I want to tell you about is Russ's story. Russ actually is a teacher. Again, these people have given me permission to share their story, even to tell you who they are, because it makes it more personal. Russ was a teacher at uh, Mile High, uh, not at the time that he had this story, but Russ should have died. He had a heart attack, and it happened to be the left anterior descending coronary artery, which is the we call it the widow maker. 12% of people who have this die. Russ should have died. And, uh, but he didn't. So a miracle just to have that happen. Well, the doctor um, told him it was COVID, his genetics, and his sleep apnea that caused this. Three things he couldn't change. Well, sometimes doctors like to be nice. They don't want to tell you, tell you it's your fault. But in not telling him what the cause was gave him no hope for the future. This, this could happen again because there's nothing I could do about the things that got me there. So sometimes when we try to be nice to people, we actually take away their hope without other things. So, but something that the... Kim Williams was the past president of the American College of Cardiology. And I like his saying here, I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want it to be my fault. Nice. <laughs> well, Russ realized it was his fault. As he watched one of Dr. Esselstyn's videos and he learned about the endothelial cells, he learned about what damages those and what can cause that, that heart attack to occur. And he looked at the things he was doing. He says, there is no doubt in my mind it was my fault. I'm going to turn this around. I'm going to change it. And so he did. So I want to just show you a little physiology. What this is showing you uh, is... On the left-hand side is an artery that you'll see a very thin white line up at the top of that bump. I need to change it. There you go. Anyway, a very th you guys looked so puzzled. I wasn't sure if I was speaking English or not. Anyway, a very thin line, and that's because the lining of the vessel, the endothelial cells, has been damaged through diet primarily. And as it gets thinner and thinner, and then the blood rushing by it, pretty soon the blood rushing by actually rips open this very thin lining. As it rips it open, a clot forms within a minute or two. And going from, you look, look at the one on the left-hand side, there's plenty of place for blood to flow by there. You're not having any chest pain. You don't have chest pain until it's 80, 70, 80% blocked. No symptoms at all. And within two minutes, a complete blockage of that area with no warning. So this is what had happened to Russ. And so as he realized what he needed to do, he began a change, which was hard for him because of the addi food addictions that he had. It was hard to give up 
his meat. He he would call me once in a while and he would say, Rick, it was really hard to drive by my favorite burger place. Now you see the, the burdens, you see the bondage that had been created? Because as a teacher at our Adventist school, obviously he knew this, but somebody had at least encouraged him that it's not a salvation issue. You don't need to worry about it. You can go ahead and eat those things. But he realized that it, it created bondage, not freedom. Uh, so these are the things he learned that God had given to us as a gift instead of what he was doing. And I want to, want to just show you how we become heart attack proof. And this is stuff from Dr. Esselstein. You see that thin line again on the left hand side. And as you see that white line get thicker and thicker as you go to the right hand side, that's the healing of the endothelial cells to where they are their normal strength instead of real thin and able to be blown out. Heart attack proof at that time. Something we see every day, diabetes. And in fact, uh, we have some flyers out there. We're doing diabetes undone class. I love teaching diabetes reversal because it's so easy for most to prevent and it's actually not bad at all to turn around. But I want to tell you a little bit story about Mary. She had hypertension, she had diabetes, and she called me and she had heard me talk in her church. And she didn't talk to me right away, but eventually she called me and, and said, Rick, I, I'm convicted that I really need to improve my health and turn it around. So I actually started working with her right away. I called her and coached her two, every other day. And I found that if I front load my coaching when they need it the most, where we just say, okay, I'm going to call you as often as you need it, and then we'll slowly uh, can, can taper it off. Anyway, so we did this. And within four months, Mary went from, well, let's just look at her hemoglobin A1C, which is the marker of your diabetes, your blood sugar levels. It went from 9.5 to 6.1. Now, that, that may not seem like a whole lot. But as these numbers go up, this is exponential. This is a thousand times greater risk than the 6.1. In four weeks, she reduced her risk by a thousand times. Simply by following probably a dietary plan we've been teaching, but people have been saying, don't worry about that because it's not a salvation issue. Reducing her risk by simply going back and saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take care of that. So how do we turn around this issue? How do we turn this whole thing around? I mean, we've kind of got the, the train going down the track. Well, we start with ourselves. So we could actually become healers like Jesus did. Remember, it said they had the power. But I think the place to start is start with ourselves. So start the healing, see the miracle happening in ourselves. And if we did that as a church, could you imagine 20 million people, which is how many Advents we have, at least on the books, 20 million people who had very little diabetes, very little heart disease, maybe those are healing up, uh, reduced the amount of hypertension and Alzheimer's, those type of things. Would that get the attention of the world? 
20 million people, they kind of all follow the same thing, they all belong to the same church, hey, I better check that church out. It looks like something I would like to see happen. But starting with yourself, as you look at Jesus, uh, his healing ministry, didn't that start with himself? Didn't he take care of him, his own self? Um, and obedience to the will of the Father, which is heaven. Uh, I'm going to show you two quotations. This one here is, is more of a negative one where it says, God will not work a miracle. I'm going to switch that around just a little bit for you. And that is, God will, and this is saying the same thing, just in a more positive state. God will work a miracle to keep those from sickness who care for themselves, are continually following the laws of health, and make efforts to prevent disease. We talked about miracles, didn't we? There's a promise. He's going to do it. Any of you sitting there saying, man, I, I, I wish I could change some of my health issues. I wish I could do this or that. Um, in fact, I was speaking at a, uh, uh, a Spanish church last week. And in the afternoon we were talking, and somebody asked a question about uh, fatty liver disease. And they said, a lot of us here Hispanics have fatty liver disease. What do we do? I said, stop eating fat. <laughs> and they said, well, and then I mentioned oil, and they said, well, what about olive oil? I said, it's still fat, 100% fat. If we're trying to get rid of the fat from the liver, then you just stop putting that extra amount in, and the, the body does a wonderful job of healing it. Um, one more thing I want to look at is cancer. You all know the pain of cancer. As we look at that, uh, and I don't think I have it on here, but as we look at breast cancer, for instance, the statistics will tell you that half of the women sitting here have cancer cells, breast cancer cells in your body. So let's just wait until you get a billion of them so that it's big enough to detect. Well, does that make sense? So do we just wait because maybe I'm not half, maybe I'm not that half. As we look at um, different ways we can actually cause the body to fight against it, or one of the things we look at is we we decrease the doubling time. So every time a cell doubles, you know, it gets exponential pretty soon. What if we decrease the rate of doubling? That's all we did. Then you would die from cancer when you're 130. In other words, you die with breast cancer, but not from it. Just a, it's a different concept is to say, we don't even have to really fight it. All you have to do is to slow it down. But it takes a billion cells to get to the detectable uh, amount. And so some of these things are like, oh, I'm just going to zip through these. A whole plant food, broccoli is one of the healers on there, flaxseed, soy, uh, cutting out cholesterol. Actually, we're doing positive things, and all of a sudden here's a negative one, okay. Uh, weight loss, all of these are factors that decrease the doubling time of um, 
breast cancer. And I love to share this as any time we start talking about stopping something that I really like, I want you to focus, put yourself back in the Garden of Eden. And God says, look at what I made for you. All of this, all of this, isn't it beautiful? Just this one tree, don't eat from that. We are just like our kids. Whatever we tell you not to do, that's all you can think about. We want to go back to the cheese tree. You know, when he says, look at all these things I gave you. We want to keep going back to the things that are causing the disease. The thing that he said, you know, let's get away from those things. But anytime you start looking at lifestyle change, start looking at all the beautiful things he gave you to, uh, to eat. There's no food that tastes better than healthy feels. See, just, a, just a, another positive view on that. And just look at all the neat things there are. Uh, the things he gives us are not only good for you, they look great, they taste good. So um, true happiness comes when we learn self-restraint in the face of misled desire. Does that make sense? See, we're misled with a lie. That's temptation. And we need to learn how to re self-restraint. And, and maybe I should put, not self-restraint, but God-restraint by his, by his power. Well, here was our Austrian cyclist. <laughs> Putting forth an enormous amount of effort with a lot of difficulties and uh, happening. And when you start making lifestyle changes, it's not going to be easy. She won the gold, by the way. <laughs> so because it's hard to make these things, we've decided, and at our ABC is now our Rocky Mountain Lifestyle Center. And the whole purpose of that is to be there for you when you try to make difficult changes. The coaching, the support, as you just a little view of what's inside, uh, just some really neat area. We've got a... And we look at the, um, the little living room area. That's where we do our coaching. Sit down there and say, tell me, tell me how you can help. An exciting opportunity. And we do stuff over the phone as well. And the neat thing is we've just recently hired uh, Dr. Arnott. And he is a lifestyle physician only doing lifestyle now. So he's a specialist. You don't give up your primary care physician. You call us and say, my doctor doesn't know a whole lot about lifestyle. Can you help me with some of these changes? And so he, uh, we, give, we can give you direction. We give you some classes. But when you need a physician to actually help you through medication issues and that type of thing, um, that's what he's there for. Hmm? What is this? Yes. Oh, it's where the it's at the conference office. The no, it's in uh, across from uh, Porter Adventist Hospital. It's in Denver. It's in Denver, long ways away from here. What is it, Downing Street? Downing, yes. There's a flyer that has all the ad address information, and and you can call us. You can email us. Uh, we're there for you and our website. You can be part of this miracle. When you look at this and say, wow, that's really neat. I wish I could be 
part of this lifestyle center, did you realize that the most important part of making lifestyle changes is having a support? And we train coaches, we call them health partners. And we train people so that as a person is going through a diabetic thing, uh, or, or any of them, and they want support in, in setting goals and then little steps to make it work, that's something easily to, to train. Every one of you here could be part. In fact, when I say part, the most important part of the program is the, is the support you get to make the changes take place. But as we think about coaching, it's, a, it's, it's, such a, it's the relationship that, that God gave us the example for. As we sit down and we talk to people, we listen to people, we, t we ask them, when you're doing a program, like if I'm standing up in front doing a diabetes class or something, I'm not listening to you. I'm just giving information. When you coach, now I'm listening. That's what Jesus did. That's when we reflect the character of God is through some of these coaching things. So just in summary, as we look at this, did he give us a big job to do? Did, did taking the gospel to the world, is that kind of a big job? Yes. Okay, so he, he gave us a big job, but he gave us the power to do it. And not just muscles, but he gave us a big... But the important thing is to to catch his vision and how to do that. Not just kind of keep creating our own, but to catch his vision. And, uh, and, and also when you think about it, to expect the unexpected. So what is the unexpected here? The unexpected, I believe, is that by following the principles that he has given to us, we catch the attention of the world. We see healings taking place, which we haven't even touched what could happen. And the world, I believe, will be drawn to a people given a special message. And, and not only just drawn there for healing, but to also see something even greater than that as we, um, as we share with them the joy of a relationship with God. So the big picture is, uh, Jesus healing whole villages. Can you imagine today? Whole town. Everyone's healed. <laughs> that blows me away. Crowds flocking to him. He's saying, we'll do greater things than he did. Doing the same or greater today. This is, this is hard to imagine, isn't it? But expect the unexpected. And as as our, our Austrian cyclist won the gold, and this girl was worn out. <laughs> she pushed herself beyond anybody's imagination. If you ever go out in front of the peloton on your own, halfway through the race, it's, it's murder. It's suicide. It's all over. She did that. And she won the gold. But when I saw the pictures of her raising her hand, it reminded me of another picture. Much more than just a gold. But as we think about uh, giving the gospel of the world, and then people are saying, I can't wait to meet the real person behind what these people are reflecting. And the miracles and so forth that they're seeing. 
Uh, do you get a picture of what he wants us to do? And besides, when you think about it, you can say, oh, it's such a burden. No, it's a blessing to not only be able to catch the attention of the world, but to enjoy vibrant health yourself. Feeling good, sh sharing things, preventing disease and never even seeing it is the, the miracle and things that I love to see. I hope you cut my compassion on this, my excitement to this, and maybe cut Jesus' vision for the future. Let's start. Let's start that aspect. Let's get rid of the excuses and why we're not interested in that and to be able to see them as blessed. And we talked about the Sabbath today and so many times we see it as a burden instead of seeing it as the blessing. The same thing with health. God gave it for a blessing, not for a burden. And it's my goal in my, in my job to break down and to re-phase and, and re-picture that so it is, is, is the blessing and not just the burden.